This podcast is supported by Starglow Media's Mysteries About True Histories. From the creators of the hit top-ranking kids educational podcast in the world, Who Smarted, the Emmy-nominated Nat Geo Disney Plus's Brain Games and Netflix's Brainchild, comes Mysteries About True Histories, affectionately known as M-A-T-H, or math, in which kids ages six and up can hear humorous and educational stories that follow two best friends, Max and Molly, while they go on adventures through time, solving puzzles, hidden equations, talking about history, and making learning cool. Episodes transport listeners to moments in history like Pythagoras's ancient Greece, the era of the Aztecs, Sir Isaac Newton's England, and more. When I drive my son to school in the morning, we listen to these episodes that fit perfectly in our commute, with the episodes being about 15 minutes long. And this podcast is right up my son's alley because he loves to solve problems and happens to love math and the types of punny jokes that Max likes to tell. So tune in to Mysteries About True Histories with your kids. You can follow and listen on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your pods. Welcome to Mom and Mind. This is a podcast all about perinatal mental health and wellness related to conception, pregnancy, birth, loss, postpartum, and new parenthood. But more than that, we aim to deepen our truths, shed light on real issues, speak about our pain, feel understood, and offer a path to healing. We raise the volume on these topics in hopes that someday everyone will have the support and information that they deserve before they need it. Please note this podcast is not a replacement for treatment by a professional or professional training. Welcome back to Mom and Mind. I'm your host, Dr. Kat. I remember the deeply shameful and embarrassing feelings that surrounded my postpartum depression and anxiety. I felt that I couldn't tell anybody what was going on, and not even my husband. I just felt like maybe this is what it was supposed to feel like, what's wrong with me, and if anybody really knew, they would judge me, especially because I'm a therapist. What didn't register for me at that time is that much of my internal experience was also internalized stigma. And from looking it up, stigma essentially means a mark of shame. So by having postpartum depression and anxiety and OCD, I would be shamed for it, like I had done something wrong. What I didn't know until later is that that experience would change my life for the better. And it's so hard to know that when you're in it. Our guest today, Dr. Walker Ladd, has worked hard to address the stigma of maternal mental health, and she'll be talking a bit about that today, as well as how some moms feel transformed by their postpartum experience. She'll also be talking about her amazing and revealing research and some very important books that she's contributed to perinatal mental health. Dr. Walker Ladd has been a thought leader in the field of maternal mental health care for over a decade. Her first book, Transformed by Postpartum Depression, Women's Stories of Trauma and Growth, was based on her research of the transformative nature of postpartum depression. She just completed a study of the stigma of mental illness for women diagnosed with a bipolar disorder the first year postpartum and is currently working two new studies about stigma. Her next book will be based on her project, When Postpartum Depression Grows Up, Reflecting, Researching, Reclaiming. Dr. Walker Ladd is the host of a new podcast coming up very soon, Rebel Research Radio on Mental Health Network Radio, where she interviews leading women researchers about the art of research. Let's meet Dr. Walker Ladd. 
Welcome, Dr. Walker-Ladd. Thank you so much for being with us. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, really excited to talk with you. You've done such amazing work in the field, and I've been sort of following you like a little fan <laughs> in your work and what you're doing on following you on Facebook. And I'm honored to have you on here today because I think you have such an important voice in perinatal mental health and a voice that really needs to be heard. Oh. And I'm happy to share that with everyone here. Well, thank you. It's my pleasure. Yeah. So we'll get to some really amazing projects that you're doing. If you can, just start off by telling us a little bit about your work. Well, my work is constantly evolving, I think. It started with looking at formal research, looking at postpartum depression in a unique way. And I was very interested to look at how the experience changed women. And my first formal research was through my dissertation. And of course, I had experienced postpartum depression with my son, unfortunately. And that really began an interest in learning more about not only how to get better, but what the actual mm -hmm. experience was. And so I've always been fascinated in how women process things and experience things. And so that experience of my own postpartum depression really led to my, I want to say need, it sounds cheesy, but it was a need. Mm -hmm. Yeah to ask women about their experience. And so that became the beginning. Prior to that, I had been writing for science blogs as an advocate. And when you're an advocate, you can have an advocate's voice. You can stir things up a bit, you know, you yeah. have an opinion. And I was, you know, speaking and kind of going to different events and speaking as an advocate for increased awareness and writing as an advocate. And then that morphed into my research and has continued along yeah. that path. Yeah, I think that's what I really love about the quality of the work that you do and your voice in particular is that you do have such, I feel like, an advocate stance and that you are willing to stir the pot. I think that's incredibly important if we're going to move anything forward. Mm. Yeah, it is. It's hard. Yeah. It's hard. To right. It's a difficult, difficult task. But what I'm hoping to do now as a researcher is to stir the research pot, is to mm -hmm. open the veils a little bit and invite people into the process of research on perinatal mood disorders. And hopefully encourage others to conduct their own. Right. Absolutely. I and mean, there's so much needed yeah. in so many different ways. Yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So, well, I'm looking forward to getting into some of your research in just a moment. How I was first introduced to you is through your book, Transformed by Postpartum Depression, Women's Stories of Trauma and Growth. And I recall I was present to hear you speak about it. And I recall just your passion and depth in really understanding that and speaking to that postpartum depression can be such an amazing experience when you grow through it, after you grow through it, mm -hmm. and how it transforms people. Mm -hmm. Can you speak to that book and oh. how you came about? 
I can. I think it's important to say up front that that wasn't my experience. Yes, it changed my own personal experience, but what I found in the research for that book was based on other women's experiences, and that's really important. So it's not me telling people what my life was like. It's me as a researcher asking several women. In that instance, I started with 20 women. It was these beautiful 20 women who shared their experiences with me. And then for the book, I increased it to a larger survey and more interviews. I mean, I can cat the experience of hearing them share these stories. I will never forget it. I dedicated my book to them because mm-hmm. I'm indebted to them. Mm-hmm. So it's not me, but what they would say is that the experience hit them like a Mack truck, that they were not prepared in any way, shape, or form. They possibly had a little bit of maybe some flutterings of depression prior to pregnancy, but nothing that mandated treatment. They had their child and then went through this cycle that we all know. I call it the gauntlet. Mm. This podcast is supported by Understood Explains. As parents, we are often having to figure out things as we go, and that is very true for our children's education. And to help you out, I want to tell you about a podcast called Understood Explains. This season is hosted by teacher and special education expert Uliana Ortube, and she discusses all the things you'd want to know about individual education plans, or IEPs, what they are, why they're needed, who benefits from them, and what to expect when you have meetings with teachers. I could have really used this podcast when my son had an IEP for speech when he was six. I was overwhelmed trying to understand the process and what everything meant. The episode on Understood Explains, Does My Child Need an IEP?, was the kind of info that would have really helped me get the most out of the educational support of the IEP for my son. And if you need that kind of support, I really recommend this podcast. To listen to Understood Explains, search for Understood Explains in your podcast app. That's Understood Explains. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder. And I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better. They went through the gauntlet of trying not only to be treated, but to, first of all, be seen. Right. And I mean that in not a medical perspective, but there's this sense of disequilibrium that happens for women who just had a child and then are also having an experience of a perinatal mood or anxiety disorder. It's a space of consciousness that is so different that 
for the women in that book, it took them a while before they were even able to articulate to anyone what was happening. Wow. The part of that book that made me, it just fueled my advocate's heart was something that I'm still seeing in my research. And that was that the level of provider failure was unbelievable. And Mm -hmm. I recorded the different kinds of providers that failed to treat women. And it was from OBs to discharge nurses to lactation consultants to doulas to family practitioners, nurse practitioners. I mean, social workers, psychiatrists, therapists. It was in every avenue of care and at every level from the clinical level for the folks who could actually write the script down to the therapeutic or supportive level. That's heartbreaking. And part of what broke them, that it is right. what broke them. And there was that second experience for them is something that I think is universal or not mm-hmm. universal. I don't want to go all Noam Chomsky on you, but <laughs> it's this idea that you can be broken. Mm-hmm by a life experience. And there's something unique about mood disorder mm-hmm. around the birth of a child. Yeah. That it is not treated. I mean, the kinds of words that women use are windows to their souls. And yeah. you hear them say they were shattered and broken and destroyed. Mm-hmm. We can all kind of get our minds around how that might happen. But right. then what was amazing, Kat, is that these women started talking about how they felt fundamentally different mm-hmm. having gone through it. Yeah, I can identify with that. That is part of my story, which I think is why I identified so much with, you know, hearing you talk about this. Yeah. Is it absolutely changed me. That's why I do what I do now. Yes. And very similar that, you know, in Transformed by postpartum depression, those women, you know, um, like 80% of them changed careers or went back to school or became advocates or started a support group or Mm -hmm. it changed not only their outlook, but their agency in life. Yeah. And one of my favorite quotes is, it's so visceral. It was a mom telling me that she was convinced that Somebody could have taken her DNA before and after having had postpartum depression and her DNA would have been different. Wow. That's amazing. Yeah. And you know what? You know, I don't know the current research, but I've heard whispers of uh, these like research of what happens with the interplay between mother and baby and that some of the baby's DNA is left behind. I don't know how accurate that is at all. (laughs) I can't believe you brought that up because I, oh my God, that's so cool. Because I'm looking at this, I'm sitting right here on my kitchen table. It's called microchimerism. Oh. And I'm looking at it for my next book. And really? There, it's a real yeah. thing, Kat. That, okay, good. That, <laughs> I haven't looked at the research oh, myself, so I didn't want to misquote it. Cool. <laughs> that we share fetal cells. Fetal cells are given to us, mm. and maternal cells are given to our babies. That's just amazing. That we're starting to see the different roles that those cells play, Mm -hmm. and that some of those cells stay within 
our children for decades. What? Amazing. Even to the extent that siblings can share cells or leave behind cells. For instance, if I... What? Yeah, I know. (laughs) My mind is just blown. Right? I'm eating this up. Do tell. So if I have had a child and fetal cells from that child are still within my system and I get pregnant, Mm -hmm. I might share baby number one cells with baby number two. And baby number two is born and walking around with DNA from their sibling. So cool. So cool. That is just... Why I'm looking at this is because (laughs) in this new research, women are telling me, I'm looking at how women who've gotten through any perineal mood or anxiety disorder, how they remember it and Mm -hmm. how they describe it after 10 years minimum. So these are moms who are 10 years out at the minimum. Some are, mm-hmm. have, you know, 20-year-old children. And sure enough, here comes this issue of this special connections. Those are their words. I have this special connection. And it was with the child with whom they had postpartum depression. Mm-hmm. So I started looking at the biological literature, and I'm now looking at this idea of sharing cells. And sure enough, there's some literature about part of the cells that the makeup of those cells are neurons. Uh, It's crazy. So crazy. Yeah. Because what women are telling us is that instead of attachment theory and Bowlby and Ainsworth and all these old cats telling us and kittens telling us that we have to attach my belief is that we are attached. In fact, we're maybe more attached. Right. Biologically, actually. Yeah. Literally. And so <laughs> when, you, when you get 130 women in a survey telling you that they feel like they know when their kid is hurt or when their child is upset or that they have a special awareness of when their child wakes up every morning, you got to listen. Yep. And the way they describe the love of their child, I'm excited because I think I'm going to go straight to Kindle because I want the moms who are out there right now suffering and wondering what happens after this is all over. Mm-hmm. They need to hear from all these other women that the way they describe their love for that child is like shaking hands with God. Whoa. And I'm not religious. That's deep, Dr. Walker Lad. <laughs> it is deep. In fact, that's what some of the words they use. Uh-huh. It's endless. It's boundless. So one woman said, I can feel her in my breath. Wow. Oh, you're giving me chills over here. That's right? crazy. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So that's amazing. For new moms and new partners and the people who support them and the therapists to be able to say, read these words. Mm-hmm. This is part of you too. You might mm-hmm. feel incredibly ambivalent now, but this is part of your experience too. Wow. So what is the name of this book and when can everybody get it? Oh gosh. <laughs> well, is it in progress? It is in progress, but I'm hoping the working title has been When PPD Grows Up and there's a website 
where people can kind of follow how I've been doing the research. Oh, cool. And I have a different title that I like to use words that come from my research participants. And I'm thinking about something along the line of this love lives. Mm. Wow. Because it's got that cellular sense to it. And that's what somebody said in one of the surveys, this love lives. Mm -hmm. Wow. This is all so fascinating and so important. So, so important. I thought this is the stuff that I think is, this is not just your like normal humdrum research. (laughs) I mean, and all of that research is important too. Absolutely. But I love that you sort of get underneath it. Like you are figuring out what holds all of this together. And it's so powerful. Well, it's not my intention to figure out what holds it together, Kat. It's my intention to say what we've been told about what the experience is, is only part of the story. Yeah, right. And this just has such a depth to it. It's so fascinating and important and eye-opening and mind-blowing. I'm really excited to read about this. Cool. Yeah. And I mean, you're doing so many cool things. You've done a lot of work around stigma and understanding that. And can you tell us about that? Can you talk about stigma and maternal mental health? Can I? (laughs) Please. (laughs) Well, my work in the stigma field Mm -hmm. started when I used to run a website called Stigmama. And Mm -hmm. I loved it. It, you know, offered women the opportunity to write about the stigma of being a mother with mental illness. And ironically, when I had to rejoin the professional world, I had to take the site down. Oh. Because of stigma. What? Well, if you're going back into academia, if you're going into a professional realm, and someone Uh finds a very personal piece where you talk about having had a period of your life that was challenged, Mm -hmm. the stigma is real, girl. Yeah. And it's a professional liability. So That's such a bummer. I kept going, though. I took time to reassess. And I'm looking at it through very, very stringent researcher lens. Mm -hmm. And that's why I went on to complete my last study. Mm -hmm. Can you tell us about that? Yeah. I looked at, it's a grounded theory study. So it's qualitative, which means we look at the lived experience of a person who's had the actual experience. And it was... I interviewed 17 women who were diagnosed with a bipolar disorder the first year postpartum. And I asked specific questions related to how they would describe stigma. And I just finished. And the title of the study is Born Out of Fear. That's part of their words. They did an amazing job describing. The stigma that they experienced, this is another opportunity that gives me chills. They experienced stigma from every facet of their life, Hmm. from horrific stigma from care providers, in one way, overt stigma, Mm -hmm. to kind of tacit stigma of, oh, I can no longer see you, to discrimination of, I don't see patients like you. 
you're too difficult for me to assuming that they were drug users and mandating they pee in a cup. No. Yeah. And this was across the board. Mm -hmm. So the stigma was real. Mm -hmm. And then the stigma from their families who, you know, these families aren't quite ready and may never be ready to understand the components of having somebody who's got a bipolar disorder. So parents would struggle and not do so great, you know, mm-hmm. kind of mimicking or echoing what society said. Well, you might not want to tell your friends because mm-hmm. they won't want to have their kids come over for a play date. Oh, no. And then yep. their spouse. And then where it really kicked in was at work. Oh, yeah. Wow. So this study you have completed. Yeah. Is it published? It is. Yet? It has been published. It's in manuscript form. Oh, okay. Got it. So what happens? I'm curious. What happens? You know, I know you can't speak to individual experiences, but you know, I'm just thinking about all of these women sharing their stories and maybe being heard by the first time from you or, you know, really understanding some of the details of it. You know, it must be so great on some level to be heard and to have a voice on some level. Well, I don't know. I can't speak for them other than to say I cherish them and I work really hard to create a bond with participants and make them, you know, I follow the very rigorous university ethics and confidentiality and so important. And I would say that I do something else that's a technique in qualitative research called member checking. And that's where after we have our conversation, I have the conversation transcribed and then I send the transcriptions to them to read before I start analyzing anything. And it's at that point I've had a few women say, you know what, I just can't do that. Mm-hmm. After kind of reading their own experience, yeah. we have a conversation about it. Of course, they withdraw from the study. Yeah. But it brings them in, their participants in the process. And mm-hmm. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. 
I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. That's fascinating. I'm not a researcher at all. So I love how just understanding the process that you're describing. And and it's so important. I mean, like people who don't do research when we're on the outside kind of looking in, we don't know what all goes into this. Well, see, I don't think that you're not a researcher. I think we all are. Every time you go on Google. <laughs> yeah. It's serious. Or you use, you know, a navigator to figure out how to get somewhere. I mean, we all are trying to figure out what's the best solution to a problem. Mm. And I don't think that research should be tucked away in ivory towers. It just shouldn't. That's old school. No. Yes. Yes. I'm all with you there. And I have the same feeling about perinatal mental health things in general, which is part of why I do this podcast is I don't feel like us as the, you know, the doctor or the person, you know, who's supposed to know that we are the holders of this information or that we should. My opinion is similar to what you've described. It should be out there for people to look at and to grasp themselves and to have their own relationship with it. Yes. So you are doing your own podcast and it is based in research, correct? It is. I got the idea as I finished that last study because the findings of that study on stigma of bipolar disorders, at the end of the day, these women experience, yes, they experience stigma from every area of their life except one. And it was from their child. Hmm. So when you look at the direction of stigma, it was like, you know, one of those full on assault of stigma from every area of their life best friends, coworkers, jobs, systems, you name it, but not their babies. Yeah. And I thought about how limited being able to publish research is. Mm-hmm. It's very housed in silos of traditional academia and had to take the publication to a peer-reviewed publication. And it's like, I, again, like you just said, this isn't rocket science. Mm. People should have access to know how to do this on their own. I mean, it's only rocket science if you're researching rocket science. (laughs) (laughs) Right. So I had participated in a podcast with friend and colleague, Andrea Schneider, and it kind of picked her brain about it. And she connected me with some amazing women at Mental Health Network Radio. 
And yes, I'm starting rebelresearchradio.com. Woohoo! That's awesome. Yeah, I'm bringing on researchers. I'm bringing on people. I'm bringing on, we're going to talk about how we're told to know what it is we think we know. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. And also some practicalities like, you know, what is good research? Is the Pew report, is that like, can I use that in a presentation or Mm -hmm. in this era of fake news, there's a hell of a lot of fake research. (laughs) Wow. Yeah, I bet. I hadn't really thought about that. But of course. Yeah. I mean, this is off topic slightly, but I was just working on a thing for one of my jobs, looking at the literature about the impact of telecommuting. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, I dig down this lit review and the dates are off and everybody's quoting this one study. And I go and I'm, so I go and I find the actual study and they surveyed like 500 people and the response rate on their survey was below 10%. Wow. So they published findings based on this tiny little fraction. Wow. And that's the kind of thing we can talk about. Yeah. Right. I think the maybe the old or maybe still current feeling is that when you tag research to something that it has clout, that it has meaning, that it has weight and it's not questioned or you don't, if you don't look below the surface and see that their like major finding was like less than a 1% difference from the last time there was a finding on this, you're kind of misled. Well, yeah. And I, you know, it speaks to kind of all education or especially science and like the empirical science stuff. It's like, only special people can understand the formulas. And that's just not true. We're all capable of understanding human experience. Mm-hmm. Not only that, we're, we're thirsty and curious by nature. I believe this in my heart. Yeah, right. And we all deserve to have this knowledge. And I really appreciate. I mean, you just do so much cool stuff and the work that you're doing and really bringing this absolutely necessary perspective. I just, I'm really grateful for the work that you do and the work that you continue to do. And I will absolutely be listening to Rebel Research Radio when it comes out. Awesome. Thank you. Yeah. Is there sort of a timeline where we can expect to be able to listen to you? Well, probably by February 1st is my goal. Awesome. Great. Well, I will for sure share the links to that and for people to be able to connect with you on Twitter and learn, follow you. If, yeah. Yeah. Twitter, I'm at Dr. W. Ladd and I'm on Facebook and Rebel Research Radio is on Facebook. And Oh, perfect. Um, keep your ears posted for the Kindle when postpartum depression grows up, but coming out. So some cool stuff. Yeah, I'm really excited to dig into that. I thank you so much for taking the time to be with us and share the work that you're doing. My honor. Thank you. I really hope that everyone can go and check out your work. Thank you. I just love the feeling of depth that Dr. Walker Ladd brings to these conversations. Please go check out her research, her books, and her upcoming podcast, Rebel Research Radio. She can be found on Twitter at Dr. W. Ladd and on Facebook at Rebel Research Radio. 
So tune in there to be connected and hear when the podcast will be live. For this and all episodes of Mom and Mind, please find us at www.momandmind.com. Until next time. Thank you for joining us today. Our hope is that you leave here feeling heard, understood, and hopeful. Please share this podcast. Together, we can support moms and families so that no one has to deal with this alone. Come and connect with us on Facebook and Instagram at Mom and Mind. Hello, you sentient ball of stardust. My name is Casey Davis. I'm a therapist and I'm an author of the book, How to Keep House While Drowning, where I talk about ways to make it a little bit easier to take care of yourself when you're overwhelmed, stressed, have mental health issues, physical health issues, or maybe you're just in a hard season of life. Maybe you're looking for a place that you can come and listen to some practical advice. This is a podcast for all of the self-help rejects. We're going to talk about skills for survival and self-kindness. And I'm going to leave the pop psychology at the door. I promise not to tell you to meditate or to journal. We're just going to give you some really insightful conversations with hopefully some practical advice. So I don't believe you need to pick yourself up by the bootstraps. I don't want you to just try harder, and I don't believe that laziness exists. So join me over on Struggle Care, where we can find compassionate solutions that help us function a little bit better.